Hey gang, and many thanks for spending some time with the 19th edition of Scoring at the Movies, the twice-monthly on Thursday podcast that tackles sports films. Spoilers, they're imminent. I'm the Jive Turkey, trying to win the Flint Mega Bowl, Ryan Ellis. And here's my co-host, the guy who's so happy he can't even feel his arms, Chris DiGregorio. Thank you, Ryan. And for a split second there, I thought you were going to level the Jive Turkey at me, and shit was going to get real. I have a gun (laughs) in my pocket. It's not loaded, but I was going to lay down. Let's get tropical. Let's get tropical. You know, I just realized the twice monthly on Thursday podcast declaration, we got to be careful with that. That really pigeonholes us into a very specific schedule. You don't want to set expectations high for this we thing. We generally hit the Thursdays and it's twice a month generally. I guess it could be three times and sometimes probably will be. Bev and I can say weekly, but you and I aren't weekly. And then when you say bi-monthly, you know what's funny about that? Or if you say bi-weekly, same thing. There's a joke in the movie Tag where it's, why does that mean both twice a week and once every two weeks? It's true. Because it does if you look on dictionary.com. As I often do in my spare time. I do. I like to know the We are exciting words, people, right? <laughs> exciting what people. A great start to this podcast. Which is semi-pro. And that was released yeah. by New Line Cinema nearly 11 years ago on February 29th, 2008. Leap year that year, obviously. It failed, which is probably a big reason why this was Will Ferrell's last sports movie. And I know you weren't a fan, but we'll get into that in just a second. I laughed a lot. Was this what Flint, Michigan was best known for? Michael up Moore. In, up until a few years later? <laughs> Michael Moore is from there, so he's the thing they know the best. And also yeah. the GM plant, I guess, really. And then getting poisoned by the water supply. That's actually maybe the most famous thing now. Yeah. Subsequently, yes. I'd forgotten that whole gun scene and the jive turkey thing. Because I've seen this movie twice, but forgotten that entirely. And I forgot that it's the Flint Tropics. Yeah. The only made-up team in the ABA. The rest of the teams are legit. And I'd forgotten that scene, too. And it might have been my favorite scene in the whole movie when it was all said and done. On rewatching it now, it's that whole jive turkey scene between, what was it, Tim Hudson and Will Arnett? Tim Hudson, not the baseball pitcher, but Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows, that's right. God, why can't I ever remember Nice gap, though. It was an athlete, and this is a sports movie podcast. <laughs> yeah, nice gap. You know, they're practically the same person. Tim Hudson being a tall, bald, white man, and Tim Meadows being a not-so-tall, very hairy black guy. Practically the same guy, right? And Hudson's probably not as funny as Tim Meadows, who I never loved on SNL, but in his little scene here, he was pretty funny. And he's funny when he's on The Late Show or when he was on Colbert's old show. I think he's best in small doses. I agree. I thought he was funny here. Although I will say, and this is a movie I haven't seen in probably 15 years, so maybe it didn't age very well, but the Ladies' Man movie, based on his SNL character, Uh, I remember laughing at that, Ryan. I do not remember laughing at that. (laughs) Damn it. You cannot blame the Wang, or whatever his line was, or Corvassier, that you is the You can drink. quote all you want to. I'm not going to know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just keep doing it until That's you... you flushed it out of my mind. <laughs> so you purge that from your mind as I purge this from mine, then clearly... You are not a fan, were you? Well, let me nutshell this movie first. Permed singer slowly pays debt to inebriated citizen, Jackie Earl Haley, the guy from Watchmen, the really deep-voiced dude. Rorschach? Rorschach! <laughs> kind of a Batman character. Kind of a Batman character. But he is an inebriated citizen. And the perm singer, Jackie Moon, finally pays back the debt at the end of the film. Well, part of it, doesn't he? He's starting to pay it back, he's yeah. He's a man of his word. 
Now, before we get into the podcast, we've got to talk about your beer. What is your beer choice? What oh, are you yes. pairing with Semi Pro? Well, I needed something to sort of dull my senses a little bit for this one, Ryan. So I went with a strong beer called Boxing Bruin IPA from a small town in Ontario here from Cowbell Brewing. And it's an homage to our friend Dewey, the boxing bear in this movie. Also, you picked Cowbell is what I thought it was. I saw it at the side before we started recording. I thought that was a reference to Will Ferrell. If I had been smart, I would have referenced that as a tangential reference to SNL, but I'm not that deep, Ryan. I, I only go surface layer. <laughs> well, I found a meaning and you found a meaning. There you go. It works on many We're levels. up. Okay, so the movie got only 23% of critics on its side. Two, three. That's it. And 38% of audiences. This is probably the biggest dud we've had, or one of at least. We've had some big time duds. It won the ESPY that year for Best Sports Movie of 2008. Despite the fact that The Wrestler was out that year and the LeBron James documentary, More Than a Game, which was pretty good. I saw that a long time ago. And I love The Wrestler. The Wrestler is a great movie, so I'm a little bit at a loss for words as to how the hell this movie could beat that in anything. And it wasn't like you could say, this was a huge hit, so it's on everyone's mind. It wasn't a big hit at all. If anything else, this is just like a strong indictment of the ESPYs more than anything. <laughs> I don't even know what else ever won an ESPY. I've never looked at that before, but it stood out. One of the rare things in the awards section of the IMDb for this film, yeah. which was 83rd at the 2006 U.S. box office. The Dark Knight <laughs> was number one, 83rd. We covered The Dark Knight last year, Bev and I did. Right where it deserves to be, probably. Mm -hmm. And I was chastising myself during our last recording when we talked about Ready to Rumble because we could have talked about The Wrestler if we wanted to do a wrestling movie and... I was the genius that suggested Ready to Rumble mm -hmm. would be a more fun option, which I suppose it probably would be. The Wrestler, as good a movie as it is, is not exactly a fun hang. No. Great stuff in it to talk about. We probably would have got just as deep, if not deeper, into the wrestling lore, real oh, people, absolutely. that kind of thing. I'm sure we'll hit it at some point, unless you and Bev do for Top 100. No, we'll podcast. save it for this. I'm sure it'll turn into any given Sunday type discussion. You know, it's Could be. not a fun or funny movie, but there's a lot to talk about. Makes you feel a little guilty about liking the sport that's killing these poor guys, or at least really hurting them badly. Yeah. So you weren't a fan of semi-pro. I guess we've already established that. But I did laugh more than I thought I would. I liked this movie the first time I saw it. Let me quote my favorite line in the whole film. One of my favorite funny quotes ever, actually. We're skipping way ahead, but I love this quote. When Jackie gets hurt on the court and he seems like he's knocked out and maybe something's wrong with his spine. <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking about. Jackie's teammates are doing just an awful job of stabilizing his spine. Yeah. <laughs> his head's bobbing everywhere. <laughs> that was a good line. And to answer the question, did I like this movie? Clearly, not really. But I think it's not a terrible movie. I did laugh at times. And I laughed at that, certainly. Mm -hmm. After, get the stretcher. Jackie sold the stretcher. They're bobbing him <laughs> off the court before them. <laughs> But I think part of the reason I was so disappointed in this movie and others that Will Ferrell did post... Talladega Nights is because I'm such a huge fan of movies like Old School, of Anchorman, of Talladega Nights, which we covered already, and mm -hmm. I think we both really like. He did so many funny movies, but he has a shtick, and I think at this point in his career, to me, it started to feel like he was getting lazy about it, and he was just trying to get a little bit more extreme in the way he would be the same character. He would just take it up a notch without really being creative about doing anything new, so it's just more of the same in a lazier way. That said, this movie had some fun performances by a lot of people that I forgot were in it. And we mentioned Tim Meadows in a small part. Will Arnett, his broadcasting partner, whose name I will never remember. I've got it. It's Andrew Daly. Yes. Dick Pepperfield. Dick Pepperfield. Steals the movie. He is great. He's a lot of fun. And he's one of those actors that has fun bit roles in a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. And I know he's got, I think, a Netflix show or something. It's a gag show where he quote-unquote tries things out. He tries out being a cocaine addict and he rates oh, it, okay. right? I think he's a guy like Meadows in that in small doses, he is really funny. He's got great delivery, but then it kind of wears on you after a little while. Okay. Him, Will Arnett, I think Jason Sudeikis has a small part mm -hmm. right off the bat. 
He's uh, got the nachos. Yeah. That get punted by yeah. Jackie. <laughs> and Rob Cordry as the quasi-perverse sports fan that for some reason just desperately wants Woody Harrelson to bang his wife. And for some reason, he's with Lynn, which is more a tyranny at all. I don't know what she's doing with this guy. They make no effort to explain their relationship whatsoever. Maura Tierney is just like a bit of a bit character. She barely shows up in the movie. Mm. It's just briefly to explain why, I guess, Woody Harrelson's character would even agree to come to this team. is To get her back. To get yeah. her back. It's the same role she had in Liar Liar. Almost. Yeah. She, Jim Carrey's the ex in that. She's more of a motivation for somebody else than she is her own character. Which is a little bit sad and a little bit of an indictment of the genre and that the only female character that I can even think of, other than the cheerleaders that are shaking their ass throughout the movie, not a terrible thing, is in and of herself like a non-character. But this is something that is probably unavoidable in most sports movies is they can tend to get very bro-y. Professional sports in North America is male-centric. It's a twist when Kyle walks in and sees that Ed is banging his wife because the first thought you have is he loves the guy, but now he's not going to, is he? And instead he sits down and starts jacking off, watching them. His face looks briefly distraught and then turns into a creepy smile. It's just, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about Woody Harrelson quite often, and this is the Woody Three Harrelson times. trilogy for mm-hmm. us. Kingpin and White Man Can't Jump, of course. And this Back on the court now. What, 16 years later? 1992? Yeah. So he's not quite as fit and agile as Woody was in 1992, <laughs> but I like Woody Harrelson and everything he does. I don't know if it's his choice, whether it was part of the script or whose decision, but he pretty much plays this movie straight. It's like a drama for him. He is the straight yeah. man, exactly. And it's pretty much the same arc as what he had in Kingpin. He's got so much the same character, although he's funny in that movie, but he's the serious side of this one. He's kind of the serious mentor character, and at no point is he really playing it for laughs. He just wants this team to win. He wants to get them into shape. It made me wonder... As an alternative to the slapsticky, gaggy movie that it is, this might have actually worked as the same story, like an ABA team wanting to get to a certain point of success so that they can merge with the NBA and continue for small town. But realistically, America. Flint, Michigan, that's not even a very good team in the first place, they would never make it because they're not a big enough market. That's actually said, and you would yeah. hear that and think, that's fair. It makes sense. They're not being mean. But in the end of it, it's let's play for ourselves. Screw the merger. We're never going to get into the NBA, but let's win this last game. Let's beat the best team in the league just to prove that we can and that we're worth something. It struck me as like a bit of a combination of Hoosiers, maybe a little bit of Rudy in there. They finally have the chance to shine on the big stage one last time and do it for themselves. I think it probably could have worked just as a sports movie, playing it relatively straight the whole way and not as a slapstick comedy. And I, You're right. I, I laughed a lot, a lot, like I said, but that's a very good point, especially since they do based on the real ABA, which is a 10-year league from the mid-60s to the mid-70s. I guess there really was a merger after 1976, or was it in 76? Anyway. I think it was after. Okay, so the Nets, the Spurs, the Pacers, and the Nuggets. And who can blame the NBA for preferring to have New Jersey as a market? San Antonio, Indianapolis, and Denver over Over Flint. Flint, Of course, the fictional Flint. I I think the Detroit Pistons were already in the NBA, weren't they? And if they were, you've already got a competitor in your same state. And Detroit's not a huge city in itself. No, and in fact, I think it's a shrinking city now. Well, now, it? yeah. But even uh, then, it wasn't giant. I don't know off the top of my head whether Detroit was already in in the late 70s. I want to say yes, but I don't know enough about Not NBA really that big a basketball fan, it's true. They actually shot the movie in L.A., but they set it, of course, in Flint. Flint Tropics, it's a goofy, fun touch. And you get the flashy promoter, Will Ferrell, who's also a bit of a con artist. So in some ways, it's the Trump thing. I know Trump comes up in a lot of podcasts, but anytime you have a flim-flam man, you have to think about the President of the United States. But at least Jackie's a sweetheart and a really likable guy. 
They don't make him as much of a dick as he was at times in Talladega Nights or Anchorman or some of those other better comedies. For the most part in this movie, as inept as he can be, he's creative as a promoter, mm -hmm. and he tries, and he seems to like his players. They have problems with him here and there, but he's not a terrible owner-slash-co-player-slash-coach, whatever the roles he has in this team. I'm certain that in the history of sport, and in baseball in particular, I think, there have to have been players that were owners-slash-coaches, and then they played themselves and became players. I mean, we have guys like Pete Rose that were player coaches, at least, mm -hmm. at the time when he was nailed for gambling. We have players like Mario Lemieux in hockey that were owners and players, and I'm sure had influence over the coach. And in this case, it's all three explicitly together as owner-coach power forward. Also, the marketing department is him. In the marketing department. And his friends. Andy yeah. Richter, another cameo, not really a cameo right. actually, but a relatively small role as his lackey. The sidekick, yeah. And you're right, the Will Ferrell character is the guy that just wants everyone to get along. He wants everybody love everybody. And he wants to do well for Flint. That mm -hmm. seems to be the overarching thing. Is he wants to, for some reason, save the team and become like that pillar of success for Flint, Michigan. He's not trying to move the team like would happen in so many sports movies of this yeah. type. No, no, he's willing to bankrupt himself. Even though everything he has, apparently, he came to because he stole it from his mother but through his Love Me Sexy song. Patti LaBelle. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't recognize her. I had to look up who that I is. I either. But you're right. He's a sweetheart. And, of course, the sign in the locker room is, the only rule on this team is E-L-E. Everyone love everyone. And then he immediately says, kill the possum if you see it. But still, everyone <laughs> love everyone. It's kind of a nice touch that as inept as he is as a coach and as middling as he is as a overweight white undersized power forward as a basketball player he's actually is a very talented promoter even though it bites him in the ass a few times when he has to do giveaways that he can't afford the actor who plays the commissioner whose name i should know david keckner david keckner because he's everywhere and really, he was an anchor man he was That's where farrell would have known him i guess yeah he's got a pretty big role in this he's in the movie quite a bit and pretty serious he's not playing the goofy character he did in anchor man he's a little bit goofy I did enjoy the notion that the big commissioner's meeting that Jackie goes to where they talk about the merger and all that is a bunch of guys sitting around a boardroom table with scotch over mm -hmm. ice in their glasses. And then when there's a disagreement, all right, we're going to take this outside. I'm going to kick both of your asses kind of thing, right? And it's like a very madman-esque way to do business. But the end of the movie is him acknowledging, even though the Flint Tropics are not going to the NBA, he acknowledges, hey, Jackie, you're a fantastic promoter. Look what all you did. You got the... 12-foot-tall trophy. What do you call it? The Mega Bowl. The Mega Bowl, yeah. you got the Mega Bowl. You've got the cannon shooting mm -hmm. off. I want you to come work for me in my office of the NBA. And then Andy Richter comes up, and he's about to say, well, as long as I'm alive, you'll have a... Yeah. And then Dewey the Bear just takes him down. Yeah. Nice touch at the end, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a final... Not really final, actually. Just such a strange ending to basically kill this guy off screen. Although, I guess the last thing in the movie would be when we see... Dukes getting his some of his money at least. That's right. Yeah, he gets the twenty three hundred dollar cocaine brick delivery of cash. We say that Jackie's a good promoter and a pretty nice guy, but he does punt Sudeikis' nachos because they're a competing brand. You have to buy those at the concession stand. Can't bring them from home. He punts the ball at one point. That actually made me laugh. Both times I laughed at that. I don't know why. Maybe because in both cases they seem to go a long way, the nachos and the ball. And he also blocks his own teammate's shot when he doesn't want them to That's right. Was it exceed the spread, I guess you'd say? Because he bet on his own team? I think it's Pete Rosing. No, no, it's his own team was going to score more than 125 points. He had to give he, everyone a... Give everyone corn dogs or something. It's like, right. we don't even have corn dogs. <laughs> so yeah, he goes up and he tries to block Vidakis or... Well, let's take a look. Lithuanian, I think they say he Vakitis. Vakitis, yeah. He goes up and blocks his own team shot. Da -da 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 -da. Doesn't play. Da -da -da. I haven't done that in a while, so... <laughs> that's going to be in my head for the next three hours. So. Thank you. Thank you for that. 
his promotions are always successful, but they end up costing him probably more than it ends up making for the team, which is supposed to be the whole gag. I did like the fact the fact that he's screaming at his one season ticket holder in Jason Sudeikis because he's bringing his own nachos <laughs> and liquid cheese with him to dip them in. Speaking of the small crowds, it's a sports movie staple. Major League obviously does this as well as any sports movie does. The team of Dolts has about 12 fans, and then there's a full crowd at the end. Because of his spectacular marketing of the Mega Bowl. And Monarchs make him a better team. They climb in the standings. That's what I was about to mention, is that Monarchs comes in, and at first it's not terribly successful, but eventually he convinces the team, we got to play as a team! He convinces Coffee Black that... He can't just be the guy that's dribbling the ball. He's still Clarence at that point. Is he still Clarence I think at that so. Point? He becomes Cuffy Black later. Yeah. He can't just dribble the ball for 23 seconds and then heave up a shot. He's got to like play within the system. And he drills the, what they call the puke play into them time and time again until mm. they can do it in their sleep. I can't remember how many it was. Seven or eight in a row they win. And you look at the standings. It flashes up the newspaper standings. At that point, after their seven-game winning streak, they're like... 34 and 27 or 32 and 27 so they were marginally below 500 before Mm -hmm. they went on this great winning streak you weren't really a terrible team it's not so unlikely that you can't make the top four before that point in the movie everyone's talking about the merger and the top four teams get in after the vote and everyone looks at the flint tropics as if there's no chance that you've got a snowball chance in hell that you're ever gonna make the top four you guys are a joke you're laughable well if they're like let's say 23 and 27 at that point you're not great, but you could pull like an Oakland Athletics run, you know, mm-hmm. win 19 of 23, and all of a sudden you're in the top. One week of good play and you're back to 500. Yeah. It doesn't take that much to get good again. And I think that's kind of what we talked about at one point in the first podcast with the Mighty Ducks when they were talking about the playoffs and how absurd it was. And when they flash up the board, it's like, well, they're right there. It's just a few wins away from being right in contention. It's not like No, so- no. The Mighty Ducks in the first movie were maybe not winless, but they only had something like one win or something. But, yeah, they, but they but barely they, made the playoffs, but they did make the playoffs. But they only had to get two wins because one team had pulled out because all their players got sick or something mm-hmm. and then the other team had one win, so it wasn't this Herculean effort to get into the playoffs. Well, true, yeah. They only needed a few wins kind of thing. You gotta go on a winning streak, but not such an absurd winning streak. Get a good coach and a former NBA player he rode the bench, rode the pine with the Celtics. That's Ed Monix. We talked earlier about how Andrew Daly, so Dick Pepperfield, steals the movie and Will Arnett, too, beside him. Will Arnett had been in Blades of Glory the year before because the sports movies for Farrell were in consecutive years. Hmm. He also did Kicking and Screaming. Maybe that was 05, I forget, but that was a soccer movie. Talladega Nights was 06. Blades of Glory was 07. Right. Semi-Pro, 08. And this was his last sports movie. Maybe because it failed, I'm not even sure. He did that... Will Ferrell takes the field thing. I've never seen that. I meant to. The baseball TV movie. It's not actually a movie, though. Yeah, kind of cute. He goes to every major league baseball team, runs out on the field during preseason. And the fact plays. he hasn't been in anything sports-wise in a big screen release, even in just a part of the movie that I can remember, is interesting that he would just be so completely final about it. But anyway, the commentators, they're very similar to the ones in Dodgeball. They are. With Arnett playing Jason Bateman in a way, and they're old friends from working on Arrested Development, which had come and gone at that point. It started during Dodgeball, but it was done before this movie was made. What year was Dodgeball? Was it 06? Dodgeball was 04, and the show, Arrested Development, was 03 to 06, I believe. You mentioned the announcers were very similar. You've got the smart, straight guy mm-hmm. and the kooky guy. And then the snide comments from the color man. Yeah, you got Dick Pepperfield in this one, and you got, what, Pepper what in Dodgeball? Yeah, it was Pepper and Cotton, weren't there Pepper names? and Cotton, yeah. yeah. So you got the Pepper connection mm-hmm. going on there. I also think it's kind of a cliche of a movie like this, but it was all right. I smile a little. Well, they see into the future, mentioning that young Michael Jackson sure is weird. <laughs> Those kinds of comments. That happens in movies and TV shows all the time that are based in the 70s or the 60s, or at this point in the 90s, you could say, oh my God, that... I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who's young and maybe would have been strange at that point. I don't know, Lady Gaga, whatever. That lady 
Gaga. <laughs> that Stephanie girl. Will never make it. <laughs> and this dwells on 70s nostalgia and tackiness with the clothes, the music, and the hair. That Love Me Sexy song is definitely a 70s, <laughs> or maybe actually more of a 60s it's kind relic. Of like, it's that early 70s, I think, disco era relic. And I'm a big sucker for silly movies that situate themselves in a moment in time and really revel in it. As long as it's not too terribly in your face, and I don't think it is in your face in this movie. Like you said, they have fun with it, and they really embrace the kookiness of that era, but they don't just shove it in your face. It's like, look how funny this is, right? So the fact that Jackie Moon is the owner of this team, a one-hit wonder disco star, and also a DJ at the local disco club, and he rolls in there, gets the The Kremlin. The Kremlin, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Rolls in, gets the bartender to pour him a drink, and immediately takes off the, what was it, ABBA? It was one of those hit songs that I probably should have taken note of. but And then puts on his song, and the whole crowd just goes silent and groans and stares at him. And then has a meeting with his team to talk about the merger. They're laying down that 70s lingo. It's like, don't talk jive to me, man. Be straight with me, Jackie. It's just so fun. Surprised you say you don't like the movie, then. I know. We I'm, talked about this a little bit on the weekend, and your wife was saying that she didn't love when it's Patti LaBelle is revealed as his mother, which is obviously a gag. It's a very famous black woman singer, and here's white Will Ferrell. What I said on Saturday was, why can't you have a white dad and Patti LaBelle? Not that they actually call her Patti LaBelle, but why can't you do that? You could. Yeah, It's actually kind of progressive, an interracial marriage, or at least an interracial love story that begat Jackie Moon. There would be nothing wrong with that. I always saw that as... A visual gag. When you're thinking in your mind's eye, who is this saint of a mother that Jackie Moon's always talking about? And then, of course, he gets knocked out in the basketball game and he goes up to heaven. You don't expect a famous black singer to be portraying his mother, right? So it's just such a visual bait and switch, maybe, is what I'm looking yeah, for I there. Guess so. Cheap laugh, but I thought it was enjoyable enough. No, I thought it was fun, too. And I did watch this with my wife. She doesn't like basketball, and I don't think she particularly likes Will Ferrell, so it's a bit of like a two strikes against this movie already. And of course, like I mentioned earlier, it's very bro-y. Whether it's part of the gag of 2008? Eight. Eight, yeah. Whether it's that, or whether it's supposed to be playing into the sexism of the 70s, they do a lot of chatter about your wife is quite the hottie, right? She's got quite the rack on her, like real big boobs. I don't think that really endeared the movie to her either. Okay, fair. But that's also something that's being honest. In the 70s, that's what it would have been. Yeah. In the 90s, that's what it would have been, probably. Yeah. Ten years ago. But all yeah. that to say, by the time we got to this scene, I think she had already sort of written off the movie. So okay. when we got to this, I tried to throw out, okay, you know, it's either maybe just a cheap gag that you're supposed to laugh at, or maybe it's he's got a white father, a black mother. She wasn't having okay, it. Okay, fair. I tried to do my level best to stand up for her semi-pro, and just wasn't having it. Maybe the best part of the movie is a stretch in the middle where they're first playing Pong in the locker room. That pays off nicely. Something about how it's, you got him, man. Then you see it's boop, 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 boop. Put that contraption away. That leads into the eyeliner scene. And that leads into the off-camera brawl. When they know they've gone to commercial, Monix starts a brawl. They're playing a relatively high-profile game mm. for the ABA. They Bad don't publicity wanna... for the yeah, league. The merger's happening. They don't want to fight on camera. <laughs> and so they're all patting each other on the back and then commercial break and then the fight punch somebody in the nuts kind of thing <laughs> later in the scene more real Farrell is just going I was grabbing every set of balls I could get my hands on his teammate says oh that was you yeah yeah that was me <laughs> yeah you got soft hands the eyeliner thing I guess is true to the 70s I don't really know I enjoyed that well enough 
It was kind of funny. When it's running, I can't see, it's getting in my eyes. But they completely forget all that, though, when they start the brawl. I guess anger trumps pain. Yeah, the adrenaline of the brawl sort of wiped out the pain. It was cute. The one doofusy character, the nondescript white guy in the movie, mm. he and... and Those Jack- the, I love the camera shot. Look in the eyes! Look in the eyes! He's look inches eyes. away from the camera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then runs in for the layup, and then turns around and goes to Jack, I feel so confident. I've never felt this alive on the court before. And then immediately crumples as the <laughs> eyeliner cripples him in pain. <laughs> Speaking of pain, they wrestle a bear, or at least Jackie does, or he's supposed to wrestle a bear, and then you said it pays off at the end by killing <laughs> poor Andy Richter. Apparently, in reality, that bear killed a trainer and a stuntman. Holy shit. Yeah, it's pretty serious shit. You hear about that sometimes where... I was... In this movie? Or separately? I didn't read that detail. It wasn't that clear if it was a future movie. Maybe they trained him for something else. But it was a movie bear, and it ooh, oh, killed them. And of course, Will Ferrell fought a bear in Anchorman. There's a pretty pivotal moment at the end of that where they jump into the bear pit. I immediately, re- <laughs> I immediately regret this decision. decision. <laughs> and of course, Kristen Wiig. She's another one in this movie because there's a lot of SNL people. I wrote down all the SNL people I could think of. I don't know if Keckner ever was on that show, but Sudeikis obviously was. Meadows obviously was. Mm-hmm. Kristen Wiig. Ed Helms is briefly in it. Although he's from The Daily Show, sorry. And just like Rob Corddry, comedy guys that Farrell may have known through Jon Stewart. Yeah. And Matt Walsh, he's the ref we see. He's probably got the most screen time of the non-main players from the yeah. team and more a tyranny and whatnot. We haven't mentioned Matt Walsh. I love his character in Veep. I thought his character in this was pretty cute, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, The pastor, reverend, the, whatever. The, yeah, the pastor. At one point, Will Ferrell pulls his team off the court because the pastor was slagging his dead mom. Yeah, there's a lot of really talented comedic actors in this, and I'm realizing I'm probably saying more positive reactions to these scenes than I am negative, so... I'm scratching my head as to why my overall impression of it was not great, because I enjoyed parts of the movie. Maybe it's just disappointment. I think I can picture one reason why. Because when I watched Hoosiers with Bev, I still loved it, and she didn't slag it too much. Another basketball movie, by the way. That we talked about on the podcast. But when you watch movies with other people, wives or whomever, that aren't liking it, if you wanted to, or if you already did love it, and they're slagging it in any kind of way... It's hard to feel the same way about it. You should stand by your own opinions, granted, but if your wife is saying, this is stupid, or it's offensive, or it's just not funny... You feel a little bit weird if you're laughing and she's not, I guess. So maybe that's part of your problem is that Allison was not really a fan and you maybe wanted to be more than you were. Oh, maybe. Honestly, I do think a lot of it is that I just want it to be better than it is. There's so much talent in this cast. I feel like it's wasted potential maybe as much as anything. And that's why I'm a little disappointed by the end product, even though it's not an offensively bad movie in the way that I found Ready to Rumble to be a truly mm-hmm. offensively bad movie. Well, Kent Alterman was the director. That's a name you probably don't know. He's only made one movie as a director. He was a producer on Elf. This is his only directing credit? Yeah. Oh, poor Kent. Ever. <laughs> Blackballed from Hollywood immediately after directing. Well, no, hang on. Listen to his resume, though, because he was a producer on Elf, which was years before with Farrell. Yeah. And a couple years before this, he was a producer on A History of Violence, which Bev and I covered only a few weeks ago. And I thought, okay, only one movie. He must be a Will Ferrell guy, so maybe he works with him as a producer or something. Currently, and I don't know how long this has been true, he's a Comedy Central executive. So he did okay for himself. Good job, Kent. Maybe that's what it was, is you made a movie. Well, then again, Tummy Pro wasn't some huge hit, but maybe they said, okay, you're going to be kicked upstairs. and Okay, fine, kick me upstairs. <laughs> they just backed a wheelbarrow full of money up to his front door, dumped it out, and said, come to your office, Kent. I'm not made of stone. <laughs> Scott Armstrong wrote it. He wrote Old School for Farrell. Farrell wasn't the star of that one, but he was becoming a star at that point. And The Reviled Hangover Part 2, which yeah. co-starred Ed Helms, who's in this movie. And then Matt Walsh and Ed Helms are both in the first Hangover movie, the year after this movie. Matt Walsh is in the first he Hangover? He plays a doctor. That's it's right. a small role. He's yep. less of a role than what's in here. Matt Walsh is in Elf, too, for that matter. He's got a small role, one of my favorite ones in the whole movie, where he's complimenting the reporter. 
Her name's Charlotte. Oh, yeah. As she's trying to report. Your eyes tell this whole story, Charlotte. You're great. (laughs) (laughs) And you said Veep. He's great in that, too. Now, we said Coffee Black. That's Andre Benjamin, Andre 3000, who's Clarence, but then he becomes Coffee Black later on. But he would not be eligible to play for the Tropics in the last game when he's actually (laughs) traded to the San Antonio Spurs. He's a member of the Spurs roster and crosses the court. I don't think that's in any way legal in any league. This is the ABA, not the NBA, but still. It does remind me, though, of something in A League of Their Own where Kit gets traded during the World Series, I think it is, to play for the opposing team. Now, that's a fledgling league. It's four teams. There's only two of them left because it's the World Series. But she goes to the opposing team during the World Series because she has a fight with her sister. During the same game? Not during the game, but in a league of their own, they have a fight. And the way to settle it is, well, get rid of the problem child. Dottie's problem, Gina Davis's problem is, right. trade me, not my sister. Right. So it's happened in sports movies before. Yeah. And that is based on reality, too. A real league. This plays into one of the pet peeves of sports movies that we've talked about, or at least I've ranted at you about. In the climactic games, screenwriters seem to feel that they need to have the dramatic appearance of a savior figure before you can really cheer for a team to win. There was really no purpose served to having Coffee Black traded to the Spurs, benched, because he says, oh, I got back spasm coats, I can't play because he doesn't want to play against the Tropics in that final game. At halftime, like you said, he says, oh, screw this, I'm going back to join my buddies, I'm going to play the last half of the game, we're going to win, because at that point the Tropics were down like 20 points. And then at the end of the game, the coach that told him, you'll never play in the NBA, and then just changes his mind at the end of it. An hour later. Yeah, you know what? I changed my mind. Join us next year. Why do you need any of that? Why don't you just have Coffee Black play for the Tropics from the get-go? Or, worst case, you know what? Say he's injured, or he miraculously plays through an injured ankle and saves the day Mm -hmm. in the fourth quarter, if you want to have that savior figure. But for my money, I'd rather just see the game played through without that quirky arc. Have the Spurs coach come over and say, Coffee, you're a hell of a player. They all know that the Tropics, this is their last game. So he's available next year. Yeah, they're going to dissolve. I want you to join us. Same ending. Same ending. For him. You lose that whole cheesy, oh, you know what? I'm actually going to go join my buddies Mm. over the Spurs. If you were a GM on a team in the future, would you trust that guy not to bail on your team? In reality, if that was actually a player and it was a pro sports league, not a semi-pro league. That's true. Would you find him trustworthy? I don't know. If you were his mother... Would you applaud that decision if you knew that it was going to cost him a professional basketball career in the NBA and instead he'd be unemployed and God knows what you're going to do for a living? Or you'd be like, you idiot! I would not applaud him. Or his wife <laughs> this game or means nothing. girlfriend, the tro- whoever. The tropics are going away next right. year. Stay on the court. Plus his Make arc, your money. His arc was to have a problem with Monix and they have their little dispute for a little while until that's settled when Monix and he become friendlier and he buys into the system that's the arc he has maybe they didn't want to have andre benjamin only have one arc maybe they want to give him more screen time they maybe. probably thought he was gonna become a big star as a movie actor he didn't really but maybe that's what they were thinking i thought andre benjamin was fine in this movie yeah, he's okay he didn't have a lot of laugh a minute lines or anything he was just the basketball guy i don't know andre 3000 very well so i don't know if he's like a tattoo guy a lot of NBA players now are just like sheathed, mm. right? Whole torsos. A lot just... of people everywhere are. I've got a few tattoos myself. I'm not against that. But it struck me, none of the guys, I guess, in this era in the NBA probably would have had tattoos. I kept looking at Andre 3000 when they focused on him in a basketball scene. And his skin tone on his shoulders and upper arms just looked wonky to me. They looked blotchy. And I wondered if they just caked him in makeup to cover up any ink that he might have had. That makes sense. Did you notice anything? I didn't, but that makes perfect sense. The example I always think of with that would be when Angelina Jolie did the first Tomb Raider. Maybe the second one did this too, but the first one definitely, she has that, well, she has a lot of tattoos, but that one on her left shoulder especially. Yeah. And in one scene, I think she's wet or something like that. Ooh, 
kind of sexy to think that. <laughs> well, calm down, right? You could see the tattoo bleeding through the makeup. So maybe that's the same kind of deal. They tried to cover it up and just failed. Yeah, and I think that's a common problem that you come across with makeup and water. Whenever you have oh, a, true, ra- yeah. a rain scene, or in this case, she was probably falling into a lake or something like that. And maybe, maybe he was sweaty in the basketball games. Maybe. I think that's it. Yeah, okay. like you can't really necessarily always account for moisture. And I think why it caught my eyes, because it wasn't consistent, right? Okay, and yeah. that's the most difficult thing. If you've got a multi-week shoot with the same actor, and you'll always want to maintain consistency, I imagine that's really difficult if you're applying makeup over a large part of somebody's upper body, particularly if they're sweating or getting wet or something right. like that. Now, in the big climactic game, there's amazement over the alley-oop, and there's an extensive history on that. On Wikipedia, there's a lot of detail about it. Apparently, the phrase came first from a long, arching football pass. So, same kind of idea, but from football. Crap, I suck at names. Help me, Ryan. Broadcaster? Broadcaster. Andrew Daly. Andrew Daly. Dick Pepperfield. Dick Pepperfield. Trying to describe it. He throws a high, arcing pass, and Coffee Black is jumping and grabbing the ball and throwing it in a downward trajectory. Now, at this point, the slam dunk would have been mm-hmm. a pretty common thing. In fact, I think this is either at the end of or right in the middle of the period in which the NCAA had banned dunking. Because they were breaking the backboards, weren't they? Well, that is one thing. At or at this, least damaging them. At this point, they had no breakaway rims. Right. But it was because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. When he played for UCLA, he hadn't yet changed his name. But he was so dominating the league by dunking on everybody that they banned it for okay, about a fair. decade. Lou Alcindor is his real Lou name. Lou Alcindor at that point, that's right. So they would have known at least what a dunk is, presumably. But I did think it was a cute moment when he's trying to describe it. And then he gets the little note passed to him. Say, I hear it's called the alley-oop. That is easier <laughs> and more concise to say, the alley-oop. It's a strange name for that play, but we all know it. It's just common. And just like Ollie in Hoosiers, Jackie uses a granny shot on the free throw line. And I think just like Ollie, there's no other free throws in the entire movie other than the climactic... Well, in all these cases, not climactic, but towards the end of the movie, mm-hmm. free throws. And Will Ferrell, as Jackie takes forever to throw the damn ball up and, and try you, to get a shot, kissing it repeatedly. You really get a lot of up short shots of him, too, during mm-hmm. that whole scene. I got to believe that Will probably insisted on at least a few shots of just his enlarged crotch while he's waiting to take the free throw. And some actors want that to show off their large dick with him. I'm sure it's, that's the gag. That's the gag. Before we watch this movie, I asked you, what do you think the chances are that we're going to get... Because I couldn't remember the movie. I honestly couldn't. Mm-hmm. So if we were betting men, what odds would you give me that we're going to get at least one scene of Will Ferrell running around in his tidy whitey's And we don't. That's right, we don't. But he's in shorts, though, so it's close. We also get the opening montage shot of him lying with the basketball covering his If I can find that picture, that will be one of the pictures we use on the website. (laughs) Oh, I'm pretty sure you can find it. The main page picture, yeah, sure, why not? But we didn't get the tidy whities which is almost like his signature moment. Except, in a way, he's even more graphically naked by having just a ball in front of his balls. That's true. Well, speaking of that, did Semi-Pro make either of us semi-hard? No, sadly. As sexy a man as Will Ferrell might be, and like you said, maybe it was just the context in which I watched it. Maybe she was I, ruining it for you. Nah, I, I, I don't, don't blame her. I don't want to go that <laughs> Bev would have done the same extreme. if she was sitting there. She'd been ripping on it too, I'm sure. It's cute. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Well, I actually haven't answered this question. I just oh, asked God. you. Just so long as I can sneak in and jerk off to any infidelities taking place on my couch, then you can love me sexy. <laughs> Damn it, you're way more prepared than I am. <laughs> so you're saying if you walked in and you found your lovely wife with, let's say... Woody Harrelson with a 70s haircut? 2018 Woody Harrelson with a 70s haircut. She likes him, so I'd let it happen. (laughs) 
It's like that scene in Friends where you have the list of people you can bang. Yeah. Maybe he's not on her list, but you got to let things slide. I'll let this one go. Woody, would you sign this DVD of White Man Can't Jump? Thank you, and come again. I loved you in many movies, Woody. Let's talk about <laughs> Finish up there. Finish up there. I'll be over here. Whenever you're done, let's have a chat. I may not be jacking it, but I'll be appreciating what you're doing. <laughs> I'm not saying you. I will. I'm not saying I won't. I'll go get a beer. And speaking of beers, how was yours today? Not I feel the same way about this beer as I felt about this movie. It was fine, but I wanted more. I got myself a little bit of a strong beer to punch through this particular movie, and it doesn't strike me as strong. All right, fair enough. More power to Cowbell. They make a good product, from what I can tell. One thing I didn't say at the start of this podcast is that I actually saw this movie with friends in the theater. I remember laughing out loud at I'd, that spine line, and way well. into the next, well, not really the next scene, because it's part of that last game. But as the next part of that movie plays out, people looked over me, my friends at least, He's still laughing as a minute later. <laughs> I think it was the delivery and also the fact that Andrew Daly's right, that they're not stabilizing his spine and just so matter-of-factly <laughs> pointing that out. So you're just laughing your ass off. That is medically correct. That might be the <laughs> longest I've ever laughed at any gag in the history really? of a movie, on the big screen at least. So very much like when Bart is in the crowd and Homer steps up to the podium and says, if I could say a few words, I'd be a better public speaker. One of my favorite gags in that show. And the room is silent except for Bart yep. laughing his ass off loudly and long. Why that's one of my favorite moments in that show is twofold. One, because it's not funny, but Bart finding it funny is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But second, because those two characters, as much as they battle all the time, connect in that moment. The fact that only Bart gets the joke and thinks it's funny is actually very cute. Yeah. And very sweet. I agree. It's one of the great moments. So I haven't seen a ton of the movies we've covered on the big screen. This is one of them, though. But this was, and I enjoyed myself. And seeing it again by myself last week, I did enjoy it again. So it held up for you. It's funny. (laughs) We've covered so many movies that were supposed to be comedies. And this actually was. I wouldn't say it's a better movie than some of the other ones we've covered. It wasn't better than Hoosiers, the other basketball movie. It's not better than other movies we've covered in other sports, necessarily. Yeah. Saying it that way, notably things like The Longest Yard, which we didn't had, laugh, so... had great success in its time as a comedy. Yeah. That is the only movie we've actually watched together. Right. At various points, we were looking at each other and saying, have you laughed yet? Did you find anything remotely no. funny yet? Not that it's a bad movie. I think when we talked about it, we agreed. We both like the movie. We think it succeeds in a lot of ways, but we, for the life of us, couldn't figure out why it was a comedy. This is, of course, I laughed out loud at least a few times, and you clearly like it even more than I do. So, so executed. That's all you can really ask for. If a horror movie makes you scared and a comedy makes you laugh, whether it's well done or cheap or dumb or whatever else, then I guess it succeeded. Will Ferrell is shticky. He was before. I like him, Jim Carrey, and some other the comic actors more as years have gone on. Yeah. A lot of other people have had problems with those guys in the more recent years. I'm not saying that Carrie and Farrell now are as funny as they were in their prime. But maybe rewatching those movies, I like them more than I used to, including Talladega Nights. I okay. wasn't a huge fan the first time. I'm not now, but I like it more, I think. Maybe because I like Will Farrell more. That's he seems funny. like a good dude, knowing a little bit more about him than talk shows and podcasts and stuff. I like him as a guy from what I know about him. Bev's talked about before, comedy's commitment. And Will Farrell and Jim Carrey commit to these characters over and yeah. over again. It's funny that you mentioned those two guys specifically. I agree with you. There's nothing I've ever heard that would indicate anything but good stuff about Will Ferrell as a man. And whether you like him or love him, and I love him in a lot of stuff, mostly his older things. Although movies like Stranger Than Fiction and Elf is one of my so funny. favorite Christmas movies. Bev and I covered it a few any. months ago. We covered it right before Christmas. Hell, like even Step Brothers, which did come, I think... Same I, year as this, right. And that was a success. It's just a chemistry thing, and he commits. He is silly and stupid, but I think that movie did things that he hasn't done before, whereas this movie kind of retreads some similar ground. Even down to gags like Anchorman. You know, I'm going to try something called, I think it's yogging. The Mm. Norwegian exercise is called the yogging, right? And in this one, they have the jive turkey poker game moment where it's, 
Will Arnett eating the fondue, and he asks him, what is this? Oh, it's called fondue. It's three melted cheeses, and I think he says cottage cheese, and right, uh, yeah, like Emmenthal and something. They replayed gags that had been done before and done better, but for all that, Will Ferrell is a guy that commits. He is naturally funny. He's a guy you want to root for, whereas Jim Carrey is naturally funny. Mm. He does commit. I love him and watching his old stuff. And I've rewatched some old Jim Carrey movies recently, things like Liar, Liar, or Yes Man. And I watched those both recently, too. Yeah, they don't always hold up. Not all the gags still play, but they're still enjoyable movies. He is in it, though. And he's in it. But he's endearing in those. But then you read about him in real life. We don't want to know him as a guy, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, no, and no. that takes away a little bit from yeah. my enjoyment of him. So the Tom Cruise thing, knowing what he's like. Well, maybe he's a decent person, but the whole Scientology thing doesn't help his movie career for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, ironically enough, I'm more willing to accept the Scientology thing only because I can believe as a young man, I can see getting in over your head in something and not being able to get out. I know nothing about Cruz. But Cruz so. is committed to that religion, though. Still? Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, that's too bad. In Jim Carrey's case, a lot of the things that I find a little bit maybe questionable or off-putting about what you read about him personally are just choices that he's made or mm. positions that he's espoused, you know, things like vaccinations and stuff like that I find really disconcerting. But I want a guy like Will Ferrell to succeed, and I can still watch this movie without any reservations in the back of my mind, wanting it to be good, wanting him to be funny, because I don't have any of those other lingering thoughts. So yeah, interesting comparison that you raised. I probably wanted this movie smiling at the screen because it's Will Ferrell. Maybe that's what it was. And I had seen Elf not that long before because Bev and I covered that. Stranger Than Fiction I think I've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's aged pretty well, even though he doesn't do sports movies anymore. Maybe he should try one more when he's even older, maybe when he's 60. <laughs> then he gets in a baseball movie. I'm going to go back and be a pitcher or something like that. It would be stupid, but it might work. If there's anybody that could do that, it would be him. It would be him playing like the older, because at this point he's in his 40s, right? Late 40s? Wolfram? I think he might be even older than that. You got him playing kind of that overweight, David Wellesy type of pitcher that has never been fit. His past is prime, because I think David Wells pitched until he was 42, 43 in the majors, right? About and, that. Farrell is 52 in July. 52 in July, wow. So he could pull that off. Or he comes back as a player coach, something similar. You play like a minor league team. I could see that, and I think I would enjoy it. And you're right. You go into these movies, good or bad, with a little bit of a smile on your face because you know at the end of the day they're going to be feel-goody. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm in good hands with this guy. Nothing's going to bum you out when you watch this movie, that's for sure. Not offensive at all. I didn't think so. Maybe Allison did. From a sexism perspective, there's some things that if it was made in 2019... Okay, yeah, fair. But we've said more than once in this podcast, especially recently, that we have to watch it through the lens of when the movie was made. Oh, unquestionably. And in this case, it's setting the movie, what, 30 years before. Yeah. So it'd be dishonest. When I watched Green Book not that long ago, they don't use the N-word, and they would use the N-word in that time and place. So it's not cool. People should never have said it. But if you're going to be honest, then be honest. Just like people smoked all the time, and you don't see that in movies that are set in the past. It's a lie. One of the hosts of the Flophouse podcast, Elliot Kalin, who was a longtime writer on The Daily Show, is not anymore, I don't believe. But he's a huge movie fan, in particular historic movies, older movies. And things like Blackface, there are certain contexts where he'll watch it and he'll understand what it was trying to do because it's not playing it for look at how silly and funny the blackface is. It's like this is a portrayal, an homage maybe to a thing that happened in a time and a place, and you might not agree with it now, nor should we, but understand that that's what they're trying to accomplish, whereas things like the Marx Brothers may have done it. Look, he's wearing blackface. How funny is that? Even now, you can look at it and say, I don't accept that. I don't care. They should have known better even when that movie came out. Mm. That's an extreme example, right? Obviously a very racially offensive thing to do. But even from like a mildly sexist 
perspective that you might see in this movie. I think you're right. You look at it now and you say, okay, if I make that movie in 2019, even if it's set in the 70s, I think you can probably find a more sensitive way to make those kinds of gags or maybe leave that aside and understand it's maybe not the funniest angle to take and it carries more baggage than you're going to gain in laughs. Okay, it came out in 2008, so 10 years ago, set in the 70s. I'll understand that it might not be in good taste now and we know better now given all we've seen in recent years, but it was playing it innocently at the time. Movies can't pretend to be woke when they're not. Good. Times yeah. especially. Movies, what I should say is the times they're setting their movie in can't pretend to be woke. That would be a lie. It's going to be touchy to make movies of this type or way worse than this. If somebody wants to cover a blackface era type of thing, maybe they won't because they don't want to get in trouble. I don't blame them, but that's what creativity is about and that's what writers are paid for and actors and directors are paid for. It would be a sad thing if that were true and I wish I could express the point as eloquently as somebody like Elliot Kalin can. But I think if you get to the point where you're too scared to ever portray anything for fear of being criticized about it, when it comes to the point that you don't talk about something, then you begin to forget it, and then you're doomed to repeat it, ultimately, right? That's true. There are times where I think it is appropriate and can be done in a way that is sensitive to the subject matter while still discussing a sensitive topic, and we shouldn't necessarily be scared to do that. Which is maybe a too deep a thought for a movie semi-pro. like Semi-Pro. But... <laughs> semi-Pro, do not make him semi-hard. Let's get back to that. <laughs> and his spine am... has not been stabilized. <laughs> yeah. Limp as a wet noodle, Ryan. <laughs> okay, in two weeks it will be March, which means we're getting closer to the spring. So we'll be kicking off baseball month. And for the first time we're going to cover the same sport twice in a month. Deliberately. The first of two diamond-focused podcasts will feature Tom Selleck doing the fish-out-of-water thing in Japan as we analyze... Mr. Baseball, which is one of the ones you wanted to cover way back when we started doing this. This, along with movies like The Mighty Ducks, I'm really curious to watch because this is one of those movies where, I don't remember what year it came out, it must have been... Same year as Mighty Ducks. 92. There you go. I was going to say it must be the early 90s because I remember watching this in the theater as a 10, 11 year old kid and finding it really amusing and funny. So I'm a little bit scared to watch it now, but that's kind of what I wanted to do when we started this podcast. That's the point, yeah. Yeah. Shuto. All right, so I'm at Movie Fiend. Find out when you watch the movie. At Movie Fiend 51, and he is at Scoring Out Movies. The website is topandunderproject.com. If you're not already there, you're probably not. You're probably downloading like most people do. That's all we got. So take her easy, dudes. I know that you will.